Uh, go ahead and find Galatians 5 in your Bibles. Um, it is fitting this morning uh, that we come to the next uh, virtues of the fruit of the Spirit that we're going to talk about this morning uh, because we are also going to share in the observance of the Lord's Supper together today. And we're going to do that at the very end of our service. Um, but I want you, knowing that that's coming and knowing that that's something that we're going to share together uh, to keep that in mind as we are talking about these next virtues in our look at the fruit of the Spirit. So if you will look at Galatians 5 again, and we'll read it together, verses 22 and 23. Paul writes and says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The law is not against such things. So as we go down the list, we have come to kindness. And very quickly, uh, as I was studying, uh, I realized that kindness and goodness are two that we sort of have to talk about together. Uh, when you begin to look at um, the meanings of what kindness and goodness is in Scripture, they're very closely related to one another. Um, it's, it's oftentimes that you might see in Scripture that these two words are used almost synonymously. Um, they can, can be used in exchange with one another in different contexts. But, and it's not uncommon for the Apostle Paul when he gives a list like this to use more than one word that has a very similar meaning just to, just to emphasize something. But um, they are so similar in what they mean, but yet they're not exactly the same. Or Paul would not have used two different words. They're two distinct words. When we look at the Greek language, they're two different words. They're not the same. Um, but there's a few subtle distinctions between kindness and goodness. And when you look at, at when you do word studies and you look at, at how these words appear in the New Testament, kindness is used uh, more often than goodness. Kindness appears in the New Testament about eight different times, this word. Goodness only about four different times. But the word kindness, if we focus on that one first, that Greek word comes from another root word. And that root word, one of the meanings for that is usefulness or to be fit to be used. Okay, so we think of something being useful or not useful. There, that implication is in the word kindness. So that's going to help us wrap our minds around how do we define kindness. So usefulness has something to do with kindness. And then the word for goodness, which is a different word, actually it's interesting to find out that this is a Greek word that is only found in the Bible. Most, most, there was the Greek language, the secular Greek language, um, words that were used both, that are both used in the Bible and in other Greek secular writings. The word for goodness that Paul uses here is not a word that has been found anywhere else in any secular Greek manuscripts. So what that tells us is that this was a word that originated within the church. This is a word that Christians began to use 
um, in, in a description of the virtues of God, in descriptions of the virtues of the fruit of the Spirit coming out of their life. So those are just some, some very slight differences, but uh, I wanted to give you a real practical way to kind of say, okay, if, if we have these two words, what really at the heart, what's at, what's at the heart of the distinction between the two? And I'm gonna, I'm gonna give it to you. You may have to think about it for a minute, um, but here it is and you can put it in your notes. Kindness is the heart of goodness and goodness is the hand of kindness. Okay? Kindness is the heart of goodness and goodness is the hand of kindness. They're very much connected. You can't really separate them. But the word for kindness has more to do with the disposition of God's heart toward people. Almost like the attitude of God's heart is, is what kindness refers to. But goodness is more about the expression of God's disposition. So almost like kindness is more of the attitude of the heart of God. Goodness is more like the action or the, the expression of God's heart toward people. So both of those things operate together. Both of these things operate together when we're talking about the nature of God. And they also practically operate together when it comes to the way we live our lives. Kindness that's within us causes us to, to act in goodness toward people. And, and we'll talk about that in a little while, um, what, what that looks like and what that doesn't look like. Um, because I think we can really misunderstand and give ourselves a little bit too much uh, grace sometimes when it comes to what we consider to be true biblical kindness versus the kindness of the world. Because like with many of these virtues, there is a biblical idea of what kindness and goodness means. And then there's a worldly idea of what kindness and goodness means. And we don't want to confuse those two. But if kindness and goodness are a fruit of the spirit, that means they're part of the heart of God. And so how do we see these things in God, first of all, when we look in the scriptures? And, and we could be here for hours going through scripture, talking and seeing different examples and testimonies of the goodness and the kindness of God. But to identify it, we see these things in God in a couple of primary ways. One, in the way God responds to sinful people. God responds to sinful man with benevolence and love. That is his kindness. The fact that he is a righteous God, worthy of judgment. And we talked about last week that the patience of God, were it not for the patience of God, he would rapidly and swiftly judge us in, in the very moment that we become guilty of sin. But he doesn't do that. His kindness responds to us actually in very much an opposite way. Rather than pouring out judgment on us, he acts in love and he acts in, in benevolence toward us. So in the way he responds to sinful people, but also in we see the kindness and the goodness of God in the fact that he takes the initiative in meeting the needs of people. So it's how he responds to the sin in people and how he takes the initiative to meet the needs of people. 
So if you think about all of the times, if I were to go around the room and say, tell us a story or a moment in your life recently or a long time ago when you knew you were experiencing the goodness and the kindness of God. I'm pretty sure every one of us would have a story to tell. We would have some instance that we're thinking of, man, this was a moment in my life when God was just really kind to me. Or this was a moment when I, when I just really realized the fullness of the goodness of God. And it, and it just really overwhelmed me. It probably has to do with one of those two things. Either you recognize the way God responds to your sin. Or there was a need that you had and you recognized that God took the initiative to meet that need. Sometimes even before you knew you had it. There's, like I said, there's countless examples in scripture, but I want to take us all the way back to Genesis 2 and, and see even the kindness and the goodness and the character of God is shown in the story at the very beginning. Genesis 2 in the creation story when he created Adam. Look at chapter 2. We're going to look at verse 18 and then verses 21 and 22. In Genesis 2, it says, Then the Lord God said, it is not what? Good. He said, it's not good for man, the man to be alone. I will, have a, I will make a helper corresponding to him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to come over the man and he slept. God took one of his ribs and closed the flesh at that place. Then the Lord God made the rib he had taken from the man into a woman and brought her to the man. So if we really look at what God is doing here, we can recognize his kindness and his goodness even here at the very beginning. God was aware that there was a deficiency in Adam. God became aware of that because it says the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone because God is goodness. And he looked at the situation with Adam and he said, this is not good. And he took the initiative to meet a need that Adam had. But you notice in the account, this was God's idea. It wasn't Adam's idea. You, you realize there was never a moment in, in the creation, Adam is living in, 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 in fullness of functioning as, as he's been created, he's with God. There's never a moment where Adam raises his hand and says, hey God, um, it kind of stinks to be the only one that looks like me and talks like me and lives like me. Like, this, this kind of stinks. Can you do something about that? I don't know that Adam, before Eve came along, that he even recognized that he had a need for her. He doesn't ask for it. But God looks and he sees and he says, this isn't good. So I'm gonna take the initiative to meet a need that Adam probably didn't even know he had. The goodness, the kindness of God. And then when he puts them in the garden, what does he give them? What does he provide for them? Everything. He says, the whole garden is yours. Now there's the one tree, right? The tree of knowledge of good and evil. He says, from that tree you won't eat or you'll die. There's, there's consequences for that. But there's no boundaries to anything else. He says, you can have everything. 
and it's all good. It's all really good. I, I, like, there was no Adam and Eve walking around the garden looking for the good food versus the bad. You know, it wasn't, there was no lunchroom food there. You know, it, it, you know, like, you know what it's like. You look at the menu for school and you're like, ah, oh, these are the good days. Ew, I'm gonna bring my lunch on these days. This is good. Like Adam and Eve didn't walk around the garden and, and tell each other, ooh, well, ooh, let's, don't eat that one. I tried that one the other day. That was nasty. Like, let's don't have that. Like everything was really, really good. And it was all theirs. God provided every resource that they needed. So we see his kindness and his goodness in that. And even in chapter three, after the fall, after they disobey and, and the serpent tempts them to not believe the word of God and they eat from the tree and God confronts them and he calls them to account for what they've done and then he, he dishes out the consequences and he, he says, this, is, this will be a consequence of your sin and he punishes them but there's something that happens in verse 21 of chapter three. It says, you, you remember before they fell, they were naked, they didn't have clothes, but there was no shame in their nakedness because sin had not happened yet. But immediately after they sinned, they were aware of their nakedness and they were ashamed before God and they tried to cover themselves up, right? They took plants and tried to cover themselves up. When chapter three in verse 21, it says that God after he had told them what their consequence and their punishment would be, that he killed an animal and he used the skin of the animal to make clothes for them to cover their, their nakedness. God did that for them. And, and when we look at that story and you study that, what you find out is that that one act of kindness of God to, to provide for them something to cover themselves up in their nakedness was a picture of what he would do through Jesus. That through the sacrifice and, and bloodshed that he would cover our sinfulness. Yet it wouldn't be an animal, it would be his only son. And so the kindness and the goodness of God is all throughout Scripture, it's not difficult to find stories of how kind and good God is in the Bible. Um, the Psalms echo the goodness of God and the kindness of God over and over. Just a couple um, to reference. Psalm 23, we know Psalm 23. We studied Psalm 23. At the very end, verse six, he, he says, only goodness and faithful love, or your Bible may say, surely goodness and mercy will pursue me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord as long as I live. David ends his psalm by, by resting in the goodness of God. Psalm 63, the New King James Version, I, I like the translation there. He says, because your loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise you. Thus I will bless you while I live. I will lift up my hands in your name because your loving kindness is better than life. Any of y'all remember the old song? There used to be an old song we would sing in church. Your loving kindness is better than life. Anyway, look it up. Well, that's what we've been doing all morning. 
You've, you've been singing songs. All of these songs that we've been worshiping to have been proclamations of the kindness of God, the, 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 the mercy of Jesus, the love of the Lord and how he's poured it out in our lives. So it's easy to find that. And what's the greatest example of the kindness and goodness of God displayed for us? It's Jesus. Jesus is the, is the fullness of the kindness of God lived out in, in a human life. And the gospel is full of the kindness of Jesus, the goodness of Jesus, healing the sick, feeding those who are hungry, teaching the people, caring um, for, for the downtrodden and the rejected and, the, and the, the widows, welcoming the children to come to him. It's, it's like Jesus' life was 33 years of perfect goodness and kindness toward people. And Jesus even taught about goodness. He defined goodness in the parable of the Good Samaritan. You remember that story. That's one that we've heard. If you've grown up in church, you've heard your whole life. Jesus, in that parable, was defining what goodness and kindness really meant in the heart of God. I also think about the story of the woman caught in adultery. The beautiful picture of the kindness and goodness of God displayed in Jesus toward this woman. Here we have the religious people who have dragged her out, made a spectacle of her, trapped her to use her for the purpose of trying to trap Jesus. And they bring her out and they're going to destroy her. They're going to stone her. And what we see is Jesus literally stand between her and her accusers. He stands between them. And then when all the accusers are gone, he, he, he picks her up. And he was the only one there that day. He was the only one there in that moment who actually had the right and the authority to pronounce judgment on her. And he doesn't. In his kindness and his goodness, he forgives her. And he says, because of this kindness and goodness, get up and go and don't sin anymore. Stop doing what you're doing. Matthew 11, 28 through 30. Jesus' words is a beautiful representation of, of the kindness and goodness of the Lord. Jesus says, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take up my yoke and learn from me because I am lowly and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. God is not a God who heaps loads on us. He's a God who takes and carries the load for us. He gives freedom, not, not bondage. And so the kindness of God in scripture is abundant and it's not difficult to see. Not when it comes to the Bible, but it can be, it can be difficult to see in real life sometimes, right? Because if we know that the fruit of the spirit are supposed to be produced in our life, kindness and goodness sometimes are difficult for us, isn't it? It's hard to always be good. It's hard to always be kind. 
because of our sin. Also, I think we struggle with this concept of the goodness of kindness of God when circumstances in our life are bad. Have you ever questioned how good God was? Have you ever wondered why he, it seemed in the moment he was choosing not to be kind to you? That's from our perspective, but as we've already talked about before, all of these virtues of the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit is a spiritual reality that is separate from earthly circumstances. And that applies to all of the fruits of the Spirit, especially the goodness and the kindness of God. Just because circumstances and and what's going on in our life is falling apart and it's not good and people may be coming against us, it doesn't diminish the goodness of God. It doesn't diminish the kindness of God. He is good and he's always good. It doesn't matter what my life is going through. It doesn't matter who's coming against me, what trouble I'm facing. That's an essential truth that we have to hang on to for dear life, especially when we're going through bad circumstances. So if, if the fruit of the Spirit is to be lived out in us, this is what it comes to the practical part. We, we can see the goodness of God and we can trust the goodness of God But to display the goodness of God is what can be a challenge. And so um, as as we're going into um, this time, I've just got three things that, uh, again, with each one of these virtues, when it comes to how do we live those virtues out in our life, I want to try to be as practical as possible um, in seeing these things. So I've got three things, three ideas about kindness and goodness that the great kindness and goodness of God comes out of our lives in these ways, okay? So, note takers, here you go. Here's number one. Great kindness and goodness bring useful things into the lives of others. Now, if we're trying to discern, like I said before, there's a difference between the world's idea of kindness and God's idea of kindness, and they are different. So we want to distinguish what's the difference so that we don't get them confused. One of the differences is that real kindness and goodness brings good things, useful things into the lives of other people. If I want to, if, if I want to take inventory of my kindness toward others or a particular thing that I'm doing in the name of kindness and goodness, one of the ways I can do that is ask the question, is it useful? Is it useful not for me? Is it useful in the life of the person I'm expressing it to? Is it it good for them? Because we have to know there's a difference between being nice and being kind, right? Just being nice to people doesn't necessarily mean we're exercising biblical kindness. Um, because there is, you can be nice to somebody and not be useful. Um, Here's what I mean. How many times in your life did your parents have to almost threaten you to be nice to somebody? Right? You know what that's like? 
You're in a situation, maybe it's, your, maybe it's your siblings, maybe it's like a cousin, somebody in your family, or somebody at school, or whatever, and, you're, and, and that you just can't stand them. They're, they're being mean to you, they're getting on your nerves, they're doing all these things, and your parents, just, your parents ever just got in your face and went, just be nice. Just be nice to them. I don't care, I don't care what they're doing, just be nice. And you're like, okay, I'll just be nice. And then you're, uh, I'm being nice to you. I don't want to be, but I'm going to be. Like that's, like you can be nice and not be kind. You do it all the time. You do it when you come to church, don't you? You're nice to people because you're supposed to be. Maybe because you have to be. Well, that's not kindness. That's different. Um, we also have this phrase that we sometimes think is a good thing but I feel like it's more of the world's version of kindness than it is ours. That phrase, kill them with kindness. Don't we do that sometimes? And don't be fooled into thinking that's a Jesus way because it's just not. That, that idea of I'm gonna be kind to you, I'm gonna be nice to you for the purpose of heaping guilt on you. I wanna make you feel so bad about the kind of person you are, the way I'm gonna do that is to be really, really kind and nice to you. Like that's not this kind of kindness. That's not biblical kindness. It might work if you wanna manipulate people, but that's not, that's not what this is. That's not this kind of kindness. That's not useful. So it's not useful when we're just nice for the, in, in spite of kindness, it's not useful to kill people with kindness. That's not useful kindness. It's also not a useful kindness, and I want to say this carefully. I don't want to offend you, but I want to tell you the truth. When we, we have to be careful when we are telling stories of our own kindness toward other people. Because what we may think is kindness coming out of us may very well be us attempting to meet our own need for recognition and affirmation. Let me say it another way. It's the people who every time they do something nice for somebody has to make sure the whole world knows about it. You know what I'm talking about. I see it all the time and Christians are the worst. Like when you go on a mission trip to a foreign country and you take all the pictures you can of yourself with all of the, the poor starving kids so that you can come back and put them on your social media so everybody will see how great you are. No. That's what I'm talking about. Or I see it on social media all the time with Christians. Here's what we do, right? We do something really nice and kind for somebody and then we tell people, we might post a big story about it on our Facebook, tell everybody about what we did and then we'll have to, then we'll put a tag on the end of it somewhere in the story and say, I'm not telling you this story to make myself look great. Yeah, you are. You really are. Because the kind of kindness of Jesus, like how many times did Jesus do things kind for people in the gospels and then say, don't tell anybody. Don't even tell anybody what I did for you. 
And there were other reasons for that. Like sometimes I, I, I feel like there are too many Christians who try to find their significance in, in being recognized for the kindness that they show to other people. When really our significance should be in the fact that we understand the kindness that God has shown to us. Like I find my significance in the body of Christ because Jesus has been kind to me, not because I've been kind to you and everybody knows it. Does that make sense? If, we're, if, if our acts of kindness or our motivation for kindness is to do something to benefit ourselves, then it's not this kind of kindness. If we're doing it to meet our own need, it's not true kindness and goodness as God's. So here's the second thing. Great kindness, great kindness and goodness do not demand gratitude. They don't demand gratitude. The goodness of God, the kindness of God doesn't demand gratitude, right? It's easy to be kind. You'll be kind to somebody and you'll, you'll be nice. You'll be kind and good to them for so long. But what happens if they just never acknowledge it, never tell you thank you? What do you want to do? You want to stop being kind to them because they're not reciprocating that kindness. God doesn't operate that way. Aren't you glad? Look at um, Luke chapter six. Really, really important. Like Jesus, this is just so real and so honest. Luke six, verse 32. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. If you do what is good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to be repaid in full. Verse 35, but love who? Your enemies do what is good and lend expecting nothing in return. Then your reward will be great and you will be children of the most high. Look at this last sentence. Why? For he is gracious to the ungrateful and evil. God doesn't do what we tend to do. I'll be kind to you. I'll, I'll be good to you. I'll, I'll, I'll do good things for you until I feel like you don't recognize it anymore. Until you're not grateful anymore. And when you stop being grateful, I'm probably going to stop. But he says that God is gracious to the ungrateful and evil. Divine kindness has no need for reciprocation. Divine kindness doesn't need appreciation even. It doesn't need gratitude. That, the kindness of God doesn't even really need to be acknowledged. He still gives it. He gives it freely, even to the ones who are ungrateful and to the ones that are evil. He still doesn't hold it back. 
And so when we withhold goodness to people because they're not as thankful as we think they should be, that's not the kindness of God. Here's the third one. And this is probably one of the most important ones. Kindness and goodness are, they will open hearts to the gospel. Kindness and goodness open hearts to the gospel. Look at Titus chapter three. I'm gonna give you, I'm gonna throw several verses at you here. Titus three, verses three through five. Says, for we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved by various passions and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful, detesting one another. That sounds a lot like that list at, uh, before the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, doesn't it? But look at verse 4. But when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us. Not by works of righteousness that we had done, but according to his mercy, through the washing of regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit. Verse four is about Christmas. But when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, when did God's great love for mankind and his kindness appear? When Jesus showed up. It's the incarnation. Jesus is the greatest manifestation of God's kindness toward sinners when he came to rescue us. We've read this verse already, but I want you to look at it again. Romans chapter 2 verse 4. Or do you despise the riches of his what? Hello. Y'all with me still? Hang on. Your kindness... His kindness, restraint, and patience, not recognizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. Kindness and evangelism have to go together. There's too many Christians who are trying to evangelize the world in unkindness. And you wonder why it doesn't work. Unkind Christians aren't going to lead anybody to Jesus. You know why? Because it's the kindness of God that draws us to repentance. When you came to know the Lord, when you surrendered your life to God, it was because through a person, either they told you the story of the kindness of God and you recognized it or you experienced kindness in your relationship with them and through their kindness, they walked you to the gospel and let you see it. They let you see it lived out in their life and so you responded to the kindness. Nobody responds to, like, to cruel people. To unkind people. You can't, you can't be a jerk and lead somebody to Jesus. It's just not going to work. Your kindness becomes a tangible picture of God's kindness. And it leads people to the gospel. God shows his kindness so that we'll be drawn to it. And motivated to repent before him. Ephesians 2, 6 and 9. Here's another one. 
He also raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his what? Through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For you are saved by grace through faith and this is not from yourselves. It is God's gift, not from works so that no one can boast. We quote, quote Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 all the time and that is the gospel. But verse seven is the gospel too because he displays the riches of his grace through the kindness of Jesus. And the kindness of Jesus is gonna be seen in the world through the kindness of the people of Jesus. Have you ever had somebody be so kind to you that it overwhelmed you? Like somebody that expressed such kindness and goodness into your life that it almost made you cry. Like just an overwhelming, I can't believe how kind this person is being to me right now. Kindness and goodness usually don't overwhelm us unless we're fully aware of how much we don't deserve it. If, if, if there's a moment like that that you're thinking of where someone was just overwhelmingly kind to you and it just swept over you and it almost knocked you out, it's probably because in that moment you were in a place in your life where you didn't deserve any kindness. You didn't deserve any goodness from people. But yet somebody gave it. That's what God does. That's what he does. It's in, in the midst of our greatest offense toward him, he shows us kindness. And the greatest kindness and goodness that he ever showed us was on the cross. Romans chapter five, verses seven and eight says, for rarely will someone die for a just person, though for a good person, perhaps someone might even dare to die. That means maybe somewhere in the world you'll find somebody that might be willing to die for a person that's good. Somebody who's honorable. That's not out of the ordinary. But what's out of the ordinary is what God has done in verse eight. But God proved his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Do you realize the kindness of God in the gospel is that Jesus went to the cross and he hung there and he stayed there with the full awareness of the worst sin you would ever commit for the rest of your life. I used to tell students, think about the worst thing you've ever done in your life. The thing that you think would be the most offensive to God. The dirtiest most secret, nastiest sin. Maybe it's not even a secret. Maybe it's something everybody knows. Like the worst thing you can think of that you've ever done. And Jesus actively died on the cross while he was watching you do that. Even when you didn't care if it was wrong or not. Like that's kindness. That's the goodness of God. And it's only until we understand the greatness of our sin that we'll understand how great the goodness and kindness of God is.
As long as our sin isn't a big deal, God's kindness isn't that big of a deal either. And maybe the, the, maybe the kindest words that have ever come out of Jesus' mouth was when he hung on the cross and the first words out of his mouth recorded in Scripture was when he prayed to the Father and he said, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. Like, is there any greater kindness than for Jesus to hang on the cross and pray a prayer of grace and forgiveness over his enemies, the people who were literally killing and murdering him, that he prays a prayer like that for them? For the Jews, for the Romans. And see, we... That becomes real for us when we understand that when Jesus prayed that, really, it it did apply to those people that were there that day, but the they and the them in that prayer is you and me. Like, it really becomes real when you realize that Jesus, as he hung on the cross, agonizing, dying, shedding his blood, said, Father, forgive Eric, because he doesn't have a clue what he's doing. In my sinfulness... Before I knew who he was, he prayed that prayer for me. And he gave himself in kindness and goodness for me. And that's what we're going to observe. That's what we're going to meditate on now. And so as we go into this time, I want you to think about those things. Think about the goodness and the kindness of God as we share the Lord's Supper together, the, the body and the blood, the bread and the juice.